Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Well, it is an honor to have you here at Bridge Church. It is our third anniversary, and it is amazing to be doing this for our third year. And so we started one Easter, obviously several years ago, and then now God has just multiplied this work. And so we just praise God for that. Can we just give it up for three years of existence as a church? It's awesome just to be up here and, and just see God, to move from Atlanta to now to New York City and just watch God work and to see, to look out in the crowd and see so many lives that have been changed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, amen. Well, today, you know, uh, today obviously is Easter. There's a war on Facebook on whether we should call it Easter or uh, Resurrection Sunday, praise God. Call it what you will. But we know that Jesus rose again from the dead, praise God. And we are here today in order to celebrate. And interestingly enough, though, um, one of the things that you can lose is that when you end up having a celebration that happens for years and for centuries, you can lose the crux of the matter or you can lose the essence of the meaning. When you think about the 4th of July, the 4th of July, you know, when you walk up to most people and you ask them, what is the meaning of 4th of July? They'd be like, America, it's about America, you know, and you don't really know what it's about. But the 4th of July is actually about the signing of the Declaration of Independence. But over time, it just melts into this custom, tradition. And then over time, you lose the essence and the meaning. Well, the same thing for us. You know, Easter takes on the imagery of pastel colors and memorizing poems and getting together. And praise God, all those things are good. But at the end of the day, there isn't just a natural custom that we're doing. We are celebrating an event. And this event is twofold. This event has a crucifixion and this event has a resurrection. And interestingly enough, as you think about the resurrection and I talk about the crucifixion, there's this part of us that, you know, we're in church and we're immediately thinking about faith. And we say to ourselves, okay, now it's time to hear about angels and snakes and all these different elements of faith. But just like the Declaration of Independence, it's important to know that there are just some pure facts that we need to know about the life of Jesus. In other words, if I were to just talk to you about believing in Jesus, you may just think that this is some mystical idea, but Jesus Christ was a real person, a real person who lived. He was from a small town called Nazareth. And being from this small town, he had a dad, and his name was Joseph, and his dad was a carpenter, and he was a carpenter, a blue-collar worker. And at the age of 30, this blue-collar worker stopped making chairs and tables, and he started teaching people. And his teaching was profound. And not only did he teach, but he was known as a miracle worker. And his miracles would confound people. And there were many miracle workers at the time, but his combination of teaching and miraculous works not only astounded the people, but it upset the religious leaders of that day. They were the ones with the power. And it was because of seeing Jesus teach, lead, and begin to draw people to himself 
that they would accuse this 33-year-old man of beginning a rebellion. And they would say that he believes he is the king of the Jews. And Jesus would accept this claim. And so they conspired with one of his friends, a man named Judas. And in our day, it's not hard for us to consider that there may be conspiracies in a government, praise God, but the government actually created a conspiracy to work with one of his friends to give him some money so that they, he would give him up and that the Roman authorities would come and take him. And so this man, Jesus, was taken. Middle of the night, they trumped up the charges and they had it so that no one would be able to see the courtroom scene that was happening. And Jesus is taken. Once he is taken, he's taken to the high priest and to Pilate, and he's moved along from one Roman official to another. And as he moves, he begins to get beaten. The scriptures tell us that Jesus was hit in the face, spat upon. And then it was his time to be flogged. When the flogging would commence, they would take a whip, a whip that would have pieces of glass in it and pieces of bone. And this whip would begin to go on his back, 40 lashes on his back. And they wanted the whip, they, there were heavy metals at the end of this whip so that the whip would not just go in one place, but it would go all over your body. He was whipped. Later on that day and that going into that night, because he said he was king of the Jews, they put a purple robe on him to mock him. They put a fake scepter in his hand. A scepter was an imagery of power, and they put a stick in his hand to make fun of him. And then they created a crown, a crown that was made of thorns, and they drove it into his skull in order to mock him and to say that he mocked himself as the king of the Jews. He goes before Pilate. He then finds himself ready for the crucifixion. Crucifixion was meant to be public torment. The way that we scare you into not doing bad things is to give people very long jail sentences. The way that they would scare someone is to put them to public shame. And so the public shame of crucifixion was done in an area where everyone could see. Jesus Christ had to take a 110 pound cross and put it on his back. And at this point, he's bleeding out. He's dehydrated. His legs are heavy. He has to go up 700 yards up to this place called, they called Golgotha. And so he's having to go uphill with this huge weight on his back. He's tired. He's fatigued. He's cramping up. He begins to fall to the ground. A man named Simon, Cyrene, was pressed into service, helping him up just so that he could make it up the hill. And as he goes up the hill with this cross, fatigued and tired, 
They finally put the cross down once he makes it up the hill. And now it's time to crucify him. Stretch his arms as he lays there on his back. Stretch his arms so that making sure his wrist would reach the hole that they had already drilled down. Get a real thick nail and begin to hammer it down through the wrist, through the bone, making sure you penetrate all the way so that the nail goes into the hole. But he's agonizing now. We get the word excruciating from the word crucifix. And so now he's wincing up. But you can't wince up now because we gotta get your other arm to that other hole. And so they begin to pull him and they pull and now they line it up. They get that thick nail and they line up his wrists and they begin to drill down, drill down through the bone. And then it's time for the feet, maybe the worst part of laying him up. You gotta make sure that one foot goes over the other. And now you've gotta drill down through the top of the foot, through another top of the foot, through the wood. So you've got to pound and pound and pound and pound. And here is Jesus, the 33-year-old carpenter, the man that claimed to be the son of God. They now lift him up so that the cross is now high so that everyone in the town could see. And thousands of people are screaming booing at this man who claimed to be the son of God. And maybe the worst part of the six hours that he was on that cross, maybe the worst part of all those six hours is that to die of crucifixion was in essence self-extermination because breathing now is intentional. You have to make a choice to breathe. You've got to pull yourself up. And every time he pulled himself up, the wood would go into those stripes and lashes into his back. In Luke 23, 46, the scripture says, Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. And having said his last, he breathed his last. And Jesus made a decision. I can't go on anymore. And these are all facts. Truths of the story. This man named Jesus. And when I tell my friends these stories of Jesus, Let's say, you know, James, I'm just be honest with you, man. You know, the, the Bible, the way the scriptures are written, and I don't know, I mean, this preacher one time, I mean, they, they're always going for money, and you know what I'm saying? And I, I knew this one girl, she was a Christian, but then we was in the club together, and I don't know, man, I just don't understand church, Jesus, I don't get it. It's hard for me to believe. Well, this is the crazy part. The, the scriptures tell us in Matthew 16, in Matthew 16, it says that from the time on, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and the teachers of the law, 
and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. For three years, Jesus Christ explained to his disciples that he would be killed, mocked, and would raise again from the dead. And yet, when they saw the horror of the crucifixion, they stopped believing. You see, the story should be that the tomb was there and it opened up and all his boys were outside waiting for him. If I told the story, that's what I would tell. I'd be like, this is what happens, y'all. I'm gonna die, right? But I'm gonna be, we're gonna have some communion right after. We're gonna sing some songs and it's gonna happen right at 12.01. So right at 12, I want you to be like five, four, three, two, one. And I come out and see me because, you know, I have issues in my life. I'd come out with smoke and I'd come out and be like, y'all thought I forgot. And I'd be like, I'd have this whole thing going on, you know, because I'd want people to know that I came back. But this is the crazy thing. There was something about pain, seeing pain that made people disbelieve. It was something about seeing the the blood pour out that made them disbelieve. And if you think about it, what is really keeping people from belief? Is it really the Bible? Is it really church? Or is it life is not what they thought? People have an easier time believing in their pain more than they believe in Jesus. They know the weight of this life. They know the intensity of this life. And it's hard to trust in Jesus, not simply because of the historicity, but because of the complexity of your life. And you're afraid he may not come through. This story is so compelling and powerful because this is not the story that I would tell. Peter, Peter was a leader. Peter was the one that was walking on water. Peter was the one on the mountain of transfiguration up there with Jesus. Peter was the one that said, I would never go anywhere. Peter, and Peter's not at the tomb, but you know who's at the tomb? Mary, Mary Magdalene. Look at Mark chapter 16. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Mary and Mary and Salome were there, a bunch of women. And it's interesting because at that time, women were considered the lowest part of society. And so, you know, if there was, if you needed a witness for a crime, or if you needed a witness to back you up, and you said, I have a child, we would say that person is not reputable. But at this time, women 
uh, there was one historian, his name was Celsus. Celsus ended up saying that women were hysterical and overly emotional. I don't know where he got that from, praise God. But, but what he said was, women were too hysterical to be believed. And what's amazing is that Jesus thought women were so highly valued that he made them the first witnesses of the tomb. Jesus, even in his death, was reconstructing society by having women be the ones to see him. And so Peter, the great leader, is not there. His boy, the disciples aren't there. There are no men there. The lowliest of society are the ones that get to first see that the tomb is empty. Even in his death, he is reconstructing. Where is Peter? (laughs) Well, the scriptures tell us that Peter went fishing. (laughs) You know, and this is what dudes do, you know? We, we, We find some way to escape. Pressure came. He wasn't the man he thought he was, so he found an escape route. And there goes Peter, off fishing running away from a big moment. The scriptures go on. It says in verse four and five, four through six. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. (laughs) These... (laughs) They weren't like, oh, this is exactly what he said. They were like, where is he? And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, past tense. He has, current tense, risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And so the angel informs these women that Christ is risen. And the next two verses say, But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee, that you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone. But I want you to see this. For they were afraid. These women saw the death of Jesus, and they're going there with some anointing oils, not because they're waiting for him to rise from the dead. They're just going because they believe that the the stench of death is so pungent that they need to put some ointment on him so that the body doesn't smell. They're going in there, and they go in there, and there is an angel like he's not here. He rose up, y'all. He's he's risen. And they are still afraid. Jesus spent three years explaining this to them. An angel said, y'all, he's risen. And they didn't walk away like, hallelujah. They were like, oh my God, what's going on? (laughs) And what I am encouraging you to know today is that sometimes the biggest chasm of belief is our assumption that we weren't there or we don't have enough facts, or there is enough, not enough detail for us to believe. But this is what I want you to know. 
Jesus spent three years teaching these people. An angel came and said he was risen. And Jesus, the great teacher, and a bright shining angel could not convince them. But in John chapter 20, we don't have it up here. John chapter 20, it says that Jesus was actually there by the tomb and they don't even think it's him. They think it's a gardener. And they're like, what's up, gardener? You get in your garden? Do that garden, boy. <laughs> Got these gardeners out here. Hey, it's Jesus. What I'm trying to tell you is that they don't even see Jesus when it's Jesus. And it's amazing how fear can grip you and how your, your assumptions can lead you. Jesus was like right up here with it. And they're like, look at the gardener. And what I'm, what I'm saying to you is that oftentimes, and this is what I feel, you know, I have a mass, I have a mat. why do we call it a master's degree anyway? We need to reconstruct those terms. Well, um, I have a, a secondary degree <laughs> in, in, in theology. And that assumes that I have studied the skill of explanation. And this is what I'm convinced of. If Jesus Christ and an angel couldn't convince people that he walked with for three years to the point where he was a gardener and walked right up to their face, if he couldn't do that along with an angel, there's no way I can explain to you the Son of God. It's going to take more than an explanation. You will need an encounter. And how does Jesus encounter us. I'm so glad he chases us down. Look what he says. He says, go tell his disciples and Peter. And this is why I'm so glad Jesus is different than me. Because Peter was supposed to be the most loyal. Peter was the one that proclaimed loyalty you know how you have friends who are like, yo, dude, when you move, I'm going to be there, right there. And then when they don't show up, how do you feel? Exactly. Imagine how Jesus felt. <laughs> like in your biggest time, and this is my big moment, I'm resurrecting from the dead. Can you show up? <laughs> Jesus doesn't say what I would say. Like, yo, go tell Peter and find him. When you find him, tell him to call me because I got something to tell him about himself. Loyal. You can't find no loyal friends. That's what I would say. Do you know what he's saying? Chase Peter down because I don't want him to think I don't want him. Peter. See, I know, you know what? I know Peter's ashamed right now. I know Peter thinks he failed me. Peter thinks he failed me when I predicted that he would fail. I knew you weren't all that. I've seen behind all your great strengths. Go get Peter for me because I don't want him to live in shame. And friends, we have a high shame culture. The higher you go in society, the more influence you have, 
the greater we will shame you. You know, if you, if you, if you look strong, people will look for weakness. And so because we're in a high shame culture, I mean, think about this. Now, now just think about this for a second. Think about the culture we live in today. When people make mistakes, we spend out, for about two months, you will be the butt of all jokes. You know this to be the case. And so we create these memes, praise God. You know, when you make a mistake. And so imagine if Peter, you know, the rooster crows when Peter makes a mistake, you know, and, and, and he was telling Jesus. Imagine in our day, imagine what the meme would look like if, there, you know, if it was in our day. I mean, this imagery is amazing right here, right here. Yeah, time's up, homie. You know, and you have this look, right? And we would pass it around all week. And we'd be like, see, see what happens? This dude is a game. This dude is fake. Oh, no, I think we got another one. I think we got another one. Yeah, nah, fam, I'm loyal. I, I just, I, I gotta, I gotta I'm, I'm, I'm really with you. Now, understand this. Understand this. In our culture, in our culture, what do you think this is doing to us? You know, that's what I tell my kids. I tell my kids, be very careful about talking about people. Because, not, not because it'll come back to you, but, but because it'll make you insecure. What is that doing to us as a culture? The high performance, high shame culture we live in. We begin to think that God will treat us the way the world does. That he wants us to walk and live in shame. And Jesus says, no, 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 go tell Peter. I do not want him to think in any way, shape, or form that I don't want him. And then what is the point of the resurrection then? What is the story of the resurrection? The story of the resurrection is new life. Jesus this 33-year-old man, people doubted him. People laughed at him. And the people killed him. They actually killed him. And then after he died, three days later, he raises from the dead. And Paul will say that he is what we call the first fruits of the resurrection, meaning that his new life is an indication of new life that his people will now have. And so Peter, this Peter, the one that they, they can make fun of, Peter, the one that they can put to shame, Peter, the one with the big mouth, Peter, the one always making mistakes, Peter ends up being the leader. And why do you think they made Peter the leader? Because oftentimes, the deeper you go in shame, the greater you sense redemption. And Peter, Peter had to communicate to the world that God can chase you down. And you know what he said sometimes? Because I know, because he chased me down. And Peter went up there with the confidence of Jesus Christ and knowing that if he can defeat the grave, that we can know that anything will be defeated. And so he walked up there with the confidence of knowing he has a new life. And I fear for our culture. 
If you were to turn over the rock of our church and the rock of this city, there is deep, deep depression in this city. If you were to turn over the rock of many of our lives, we get on trains, we get on buses, we go to the gym, we come to church. We are very crowded, and yet we suffer from crowded loneliness. All these people around us, and yet we're performing, constantly performing. And the amount of suicidal thoughts that I get on my counseling deck are deep. And the amount of people that, and, and I never assume how good you look, how successful you are, I never assume that you are not dealing with darkness. And you know what someone says when they say, I don't want this life anymore? They're saying, I want this to end. Like Peter, I'm not the man I thought I'd be. I'm not the woman I thought I'd be. Life has not worked the way I want, so I'd like to hit end. And here's what I want to tell you, church. <laughs> you ain't got to hit end. You can hit a reset button in Christ. Because in Christ, it means you can start again. Peter, the fool, becomes Peter, the leader. Mary Magdalene, she had a past. You know what I'm talking about? She was a prostitute. Mary, the prostitute, becomes Mary, the witness. James, James, like Peter, James. My life was filled with fear and insecurity. My life was filled with loneliness and doubt. My life was filled with questions. And the craziest thing was, while my life was filled with all those questions, I still had, an, I mustered up enough confidence to look strong in front of people. And when I met Jesus, I learned I don't have to perform and I don't have to end. I get new life in Christ again. Yeah. And in 1998, I started again. But here's one thing I've learned. Mm. I got to hit that reset button pretty much every week, praise God. <laughs> what I'm saying is I'm Peter every week. Jesus, I won't think this way again. Jesus, I won't do this again. Jesus, I'm not this way. Jesus, I'll be better. Jesus, I can do it. And just like Peter, I fail him every time. Monday, I believe I'm the greatest man of God. By Friday, Jesus is saying, go get the disciples and James. But I want you to know he's saying your name too. Don't you love it? He's not just saying, go get Bridge Church. He's saying names. He's saying specific names. Jesus is chasing you down. Your name. And you have been created for an encounter with the living God. And you can fill that void in your heart with all types of stuff. 
and you fight for that new job, and you try to doll yourself up to find the right one, and you try to get in the gym, and you try to look tight, and you, you, know, you, wanna, you, you walk on the street, and you, you want to be cool, and we try all these things, and we keep pressing in for some kind of new encounter. And the greatest thing that you can encounter is the only person that defeated death. And he waits every day to say, talk to me, engage me, and walk with me through this life. And you don't have to be so crowded in your loneliness. We are a church of struggling people trying to walk through this life together to know Jesus more. Tonight, maybe something in the message compelled you. Maybe something in the message reached out to you. But I believe that when God wants to encounter someone, he will use a preacher, he will use a song, but it will be him chasing you down, not the preacher. I preached at an earlier service in the week, and it was a Good Friday service. And while I was preaching, I made mention that God can turn a bad day into a good day. The Good Friday is the day of crucifixion, but we call it Good Friday. It's Good Friday because he made it good. And if he can make a Friday so horrific good, that means that he can turn anything good. If you have cancer, you can call it good. If you're going through loneliness, you can call it good. And I went on and on and on and on. And I thought I sounded fairly good, praise God. <laughs> this woman was walking by and she just so happened to hear the music and she sat in the back listening. And I was talking, talking, talking and she came up to me after and she said, Pastor, how did you know? How did I know what? How did you know? Give me a hint. <laughs> How did you know I just got diagnosed with cancer? And I said, I'm sorry, I did not know that. She said, I can't believe I'm here. I said, listen, let me pray with you, but I just want you to know something. I didn't know that. But God intentionally had you here for this moment, not just to heal your cancer, but to chase you down so that you would encounter him and know him. God can hack in to all your defenses, get past all your excuses, dig into all your questions. No preacher, no explanation can make the truth relevant and real to you. Like Mary, even though Jesus may not be everything you understand him to be. Mary, even in her fear, even in her doubt, went to the tomb just to see. I pray that you would take a step towards the Lord, that you would look into that tomb, that he would speak to you. We're gonna have the music play. Um, I know that you guys normally get a, a hint when to come up. This is the time, praise God. 
I failed you, praise God. I, I went a lot of different ways. But I pray that tonight, beyond all the preaching, beyond Sunday, I pray you don't live in shame. I pray you don't live in fear. And I pray you know that God is chasing you down. It is not the preaching. It is not the music. It is the creator of heaven and earth. And he's not just interested in you, he created you. And he wants to know you more. And he wants you to lay your life down before him. Heavenly Father, tonight, we ask for your power. We ask for your wisdom. We ask that you would touch these people. I pray, God, that we would encounter you. I pray, God, that you would speak to us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would get past all our defenses. And you would allow us to encounter the living God. The living God. Allow us to encounter you tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.